Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real. True. Stories. May the narrative be with you. We were out for a Saturday night on the town in San Francisco. Sports writers from New York there for a big game the next day between the Jets and the Raiders. We dined at a fine French restaurant called the Blue Fox and then caught the two hottest shows in North Beach. And between cocktails and wine at dinner and the two-drink minimum at each of the clubs, we were all pretty well lit. When we reached the corner of Broadway and Kearney Street, Frank Ramos, the Jet publicist, decided to have some fun at the expense of the rookie in the group. I was 23 years old. I bet you couldn't make it up to the top of that hill, he said to me. Kearney is one of those San Francisco streets that goes nearly straight up. I was about to agree with him when he spotted two women coming up the street, one about 20, the other maybe twice her age. You couldn't even beat a girl up the hill, he said. Then he pulled a bill out of his wallet and stopped the younger one and said, there's $20 in it for you if you can beat this guy up to the top of that hill. The next thing I knew, she was running up Kearney Street, and so was I. I caught up with her about three-quarters of the way, and she turned around and gave me a shove. She, she, looked, she looked over her shoulder and said, I'm sorry, I really can use this money. When we got to the top, I stumbled over to the curb and threw up what must have been the best meal I'd ever eaten in my life. Down on Broadway, everyone was laughing. Frank gave her the 20 and told her there'd be two tickets for her at the will call the next day at the stadium. And we, I traded contact information with her and we went our separate ways. When I got back to the hotel, the light on the phone was flashing. It was a message from Gail, that was her name. She was working her way through school down in San Jose, and she had gotten back to word that her boss needed her on Sunday, so she couldn't use the tickets. I covered the game. The Jets fell apart in the fourth quarter. And uh, then I wrote my story and went right to the airport to catch a red eye so that I could be standing in front of an English class first thing Monday morning. Sports writing was my dream career, but this was 1967. The Vietnam War was raging. And if you were under 26 and a male, no matter what career you were pursuing, you needed the draft permit that went with my second full-time job teaching school. It wasn't easy, not much sleep, and not much of a social life at all, but it was worth it to me. When I filled out my expense account later that week and gathered all the receipts, I came across the slip of paper with Gail's information. I thought to myself, why not? I went out and bought a bottle of French cologne and sent it off to San Jose for a good sport, I said. The thank you note that came back from her expressed amazement that I could pick out such a perfect gift. I decided, listen, we'd only exchanged four or five words I wrote her a little letter telling her exactly how I came to be at Broadway and Kearney that night and my situation. What came back was five pages, longhand. There were other letters, and then there were phone calls. And before very long, everything about that 
relationship was the only thing on my mind. I shared the information about this uh, circumstance with several of the other writers who had been there that night on Broadway. One of them said, what a great story. I could tell that Gail was telling our story too because when she was called to the phone at her sorority house, I could hear the giggles in the background. Then I realized the Mets and the Yankees were opening the baseball season on the road in California. And the dates corresponded perfectly with my spring break from school. I can't believe you're coming to see me, Gail wrote. I landed in San Francisco on a Saturday, 16 weeks to the day from our little run up the hill. Sunday, I headed south. When I flipped on the radio in the rental car, the first song that played, I swear, was a new release by Dionne Warwick, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? <sighs> I thought to myself, to paraphrase Winston Churchill, this is fate wrapped in magic inside destiny. We spent the day together in that dinner at her parents' house. And then I headed back to do an off-day story in San Francisco. The Mets and the Giants were supposed to open the season on Monday, but the entire country was shut down on Monday in honor of Martin Luther King's funeral. Even the Oscars had been postponed. Those were pretty tumultuous times. Gail came to the game Tuesday. She drove up with uh, Carol, her name was, the woman that she was with that night that uh, I, we first met. That's the word for it. The Mets blew a lead in the ninth inning. Some things never seem to change. And uh, I went and got a few quotes in the locker room and then came back up into the stands and Gail was waiting just where we had agreed alongside the first base dugout. We were going to go up to the press box so I could write my story and then out for an evening. Except when I reached her, there was a strange look in her eye. Ed, she said very softly, I think I'm going to go back with Carol. I looked at her. It's not happening, is it? I said. She shook her head. We embraced and left in opposite directions. By the time I finished my story, mine was the last car in the parking lot. I could hear the echo of my footsteps on the pavement. Truth to tell, it wasn't happening for me either. But that didn't lessen the disappointment at all. The car practically drove itself to the corner of Broadway and Kearney. It was dinner hour. People were coming home from work, trudging up to apartments in gritty row houses that lined both sides of the street. This was hardly the idyllic setting I had re-envisioned in my mind's eye. I went back to the hotel and I did something I had never done before and have not done since. I wrote a poem, called Gail, read it to her. We were both in tears when it ended. Back in New York, things were looking up. I found a spot in an Army Reserve unit, so I wouldn't have to have that second full-time job anymore to avoid the draft. And I also signed on with a larger, more prestigious newspaper. Some weeks later, I decided to make one last call to San Jose, just to say that Things were all right. This time there, were no, there was no giggling, just silence. 
Then her roommate was on the phone. Gail's not here, she said. She's left school. She's gotten married. I managed to stammer a request for an address so I could send my best wishes. Fort Knox, Kentucky. We'd even talked about running off to Canada together, and she'd married a GI. Then I looked at the name. It was the same last name as Carol's. Had she married her friend's son? We'd shared a lot of secrets, but obviously not all of them. I got on... Well, let me just let me get back a little bit to say that about four days later, an envelope arrived. Postmarked Radcliffe, Kentucky. No return address. If you do wish me well, she wrote, please don't contact me. I would have a hard time explaining who you are to my husband, and I am happily married and happily was underlined. That was that. I got on with my life, a life blessed with love and family and accomplishment. But I saved all those letters, even that last one. They found their way into a cardboard file box with clippings and artifacts from that time. And that followed me through 10 homes and nine jobs in four states over 47 years. Last June, I began preparing to write a little bit about that period, opened the box, and decided I would try to discover whatever had become of Gail. I'd Googled her a couple of times to no avail, but this time I really got on it. It took a lot of digging, but I found her. She had still another last name. She and her husband were the proprietors, longtime proprietors of a very popular restaurant and bakery in a town on Monterey Bay. Third largest employer in the town. She'd been the mayor for a period of years. They'd written a book that I found on the shelves of Powell's. A little more digging produced an email. I tried to keep it light. Do you suppose, I wrote, there ought to be a historic marker on the corner of Broadway and Kearney? She replied, well, well. <laughs> it was the perfect tone. I said to her that I was really pleased to learn of her success, and she'd apparently checked me out online because she responded in kind. Actually, I was more than pleased. I was delighted. And it took me another day to come to terms with that, with why. And then I realized, after nearly a half century of ambivalence, I understood what hadn't happened between us back then was far outweighed by what had. Sure, the idea that the strange way we'd met could lead to romance and true love was fantasy, fed by idealized impressions we created a continent apart. But I now understood there really was something there, something we'd seen in each other. And I knew, at long last, that what we meant to each other over those months 
what we gave each other was very real and in its own way quite wonderful. <laughs>